0: Welcome to the I am Somebody Podcast. This is a collaborative project between Focus, Recovering Wellness Community, Nami Hancock County, LGBTQ+, Spectrum Affinley, and other volunteers. In this podcast, we hear recovery stories from people who suffer from mental health conditions, substance use and trauma. We also hear from service providers, family members, and other community supporters of recovery. The subject matter of this podcast may be difficult for some listeners. The views and opinions expressed on the I Am Somebody podcast are those of individuals being recorded and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of the partnering agencies. Stick around after the podcast for information on local and national resources for mental health, substance use, and trauma services. I Am Somebody.
1: I Am Somebody. I
2: Am Somebody. I Am Somebody.
1: I Am Somebody.
2: I Am Somebody.
1: I Am Somebody. somebody. I am Paige, and I am somebody.
3: Hello, everyone. My name is Stacy, and you are listening to the I Am Somebody podcast. I'm here today with my co-host, Ams, and we are going to be
2: talking to Paige. Do you want to say hello, Ams? Hello, everyone. It's uh, Thursday, April 6, 2023, and it is mid-morning, and we're here with our special guest, Do you want to introduce yourself, Paige?
1: Yes. um, My name is Paige. Um, I am a recovering addict, and um, I am from Finley, Ohio. I was born and raised here, and I graduated from McComb High School.
3: That's great. Um, Why did you want to be on the podcast today?
1: Um, I just, well, I wanted to share my story of my recovery and my addiction um, I'm pretty raw about it, and everything's true and everything's real, so I just want to keep it real with people because it's not easy. Um, I guess there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and um, if you're struggling with addiction, there, there, there is a way, and you can get through it. You just have to have the heart and you have to have the motivation and you got to be determined to get what you want. Um, My addiction started, actually, I have ADD and um, I was diagnosed by a doctor when I was in high school. But before all that, we're going to rewind because I had a stroke back in 2006 that paralyzed the left side of my body um it was caused by bacterial endocarditis and i was 10 and this was before the drug abuse and everything started so after that happened i went through rehab um i have a coil in my brain from a surgery that was done through my leg they took a catheter through my leg and coiled it so i am disabled and i do have health problems but i mean i'm recovered fully recovered today um, after that, I got diagnosed with the ADD. Um, they put me on Adderall and I was just popping it like, no, like just every day, just using Adderall. So that's what kind of led to my addiction. That's what started it. But I guess I've been through enough therapy to know that the root of my addiction is my family. My mom, my dad, they're not very much, they're not parents at all. they They're selfish. And um, my dad's currently in jail. I don't know if that tells you anything. Like, they can't seem to get their lives together for me. And that hurts me. Like, that breaks my heart. And I've always just used, like, um, I would drink in high school. And this is where it kind of stemmed out. I would act out out of spite. I would act out out of hatred because of my parents. There was no love there. And I felt like... I like I was just a throwaway child. Um, my mom just treated me like nothing because I came from a different dad, and my dad's off while and now on alcohol and drugs. So, anyways, I graduated high school. Thank God, I got a diploma. Um, and <laughs> I was working uh, at Cheddar's for a while, probably about like six months. And then I got a job dancing up in Toledo. Um, I did that for four years. And I know it's kind of, it's not the, you know, it's, but it's, it's legal. And that's how the addiction like manifested itself. Um, I was using cocaine. I was drinking every day, working 12 hour shifts as a stripper, um, and then I had my own apartment. I, I had all the nice things, all the the nice car, everything, you know. That, but that kind of covered up the addiction. That that was really going on. And then after that, I had a baby. I met my baby dad. I had a baby, and she kind of like she turned my life. I, like, I got a different perspective from that, from what I'm saying. Um, I just, the little, the little girl that I held in my hands meant so much to me. And I love her so much. But that didn't stop my addiction. I just kept on using. And it wasn't a good enough purpose. Because I feel like you have to find a purpose in life. Like, if it's spirituality, if it's... Whatever you find, your children, you find a purpose in life and that will like make you happy and you don't want to use. But for some reason, like I had so much love for this little girl and I just kept on doing it. It literally like consumed me like because I was at that point where I went from cocaine to meth and then I started snorting meth. And then me and my baby dad split up. And then that's when the heroin came into play. But I still had the apartment. I still had the nice shiny things, you know, the car, whatever. So that kind of, it just kind of was like, hey, like I'm still using, but I got the materialistic shit, you know. And it didn't mean anything because you could always lose it. So anyways, I started injecting heroin and meth. And that went on for two years. I, ha- I still had custody of my daughter, and I was using with my daughter in the house. And then it turned into a trap house. It just, it hurts me because now I see what happened. I met this guy, and, uh, like, he's been to prison four times. He's doing his fifth number now, and he's only 32. And so, like he's got a bad rep in finley and i love that like as like everything that's bad i love you know cuz i just want to act out cuz i feel like i have no love from nobody like my parents are selfish they only love themselves and they have ulterior motives and i just I, it's just unhealthy and um so i met him and we were we were doing bad shit like causing bodily harm to people robbing people for drugs, robbing businesses, I got, um, I got bad, or I got business checks. And this is how I got my felonies. I had a bank account up at First Federal Bank. And of course, I have an ID. So I can cash these bad checks, you know. So we're getting two thousand dollars a day, you know, just cashing these bad checks and their felonies. I already got the felony charges, but um what what we spend it on? We spend it on drugs, you know. So I robbed the business, you know, it was Finley dry cleaning, it was a Macomb business, a business in Macomb. And then there was Domino's Pizza. We used those checks. We yeah. So, anyways, we spent all the money. We're hurting people, like physically. Um, we beat up somebody in my apartment, and then took all everything they had, so, so that way we could get drugs. Um, man, it's just it's not the life to live, because after that. I thought, like, he he was just bullshitting me the whole time, you know. And I was, like, so in love, you know. <laughs> you know. Um, and so after that, he went to prison. And then I'm out on the streets because I got kicked out of my apartment. And I'm still using. I'm living in trap houses. I'm using to the point where I'm dying And it was just to the point where, like, the heroin, like, I was just so, like, probably about 20% of me wanted help, and then the other 80% was consumed by drugs, and I didn't care how I got it, but as long as I wasn't prostituting myself, I was good, you know? I was so against that. But I have friends who do that, and it's whatever. You do what you do, you get it how you get it, but that's not my forte. Um, I have, um, well, I had RDD tattooed on the side of my face, which means rob drug dealers, but I got it covered up because it's, it's just not, it's not cool. Like, it's not cool. And I regret, and I feel bad now. And like, even, even that they're junkies, they're still people in my eyes. Like, all humanity, like, I just feel like. I have sympathy and I have compassion for people and it, sometimes it's, it's bad. Like I can't be like that towards people cause they'll take everything that you got and you got to put up those boundaries. So anyways, I was using to the point where I've, I've OD'd 10 times and then the five times I've died, like literally just died and they had to revive me in the shower or something. Um, I have OD'd in somebody's car and they threw me out on the corner of Taylor and Center Street and I was dead. They threw me out in a pile of snow. It's just, I was just dying on the streets. It just got to that point. And then I had indictments out. I had warrants out for my arrest. So I'm running from the law. And then finally, like my grandpa had taken, he's like, I'm going to take you to jail And I'm like, no, because I needed a ride somewhere. And this was, like, towards the very end of it. I jumped out of the car when the car was going 50 miles per hour and ran down the street and got arrested. And so I'm going to jail anyways. Um, I had dope in my book bag, and I got a charge for that. But luckily, I've been doing good, so I haven't had any jail time for that because... I've, I've been doing really good, but anyways, with the bad stuff, that, that, that's my story, like, and then I got arrested, I went to jail for a year, and I'm detoxing and stuff, I, did, I still didn't want it when I was in jail, I didn't want it, but I went to rehab, I actually got a smoking addiction now, so, I mean, all the other addictions are gone pretty much, just the smoking, it's just smoking. But I've never smoked in my life until I went to rehab. But um, I feel like, well, I had signed over my daughter to my grandparents. I feel like I failed her, but I cannot carry that guilt around. I can't. I just got to move forward. I got, I, I, um I got to be strong and I got to keep doing good and every day is a new day and I just got to stay sober one day at a time. I have six felonies now and I want to expunge them, but I don't have the money to. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to go to college to get a college degree, an associate's degree, because if I got these felonies on my belt, I'm not going to get a good job. But that, I like, that's my story. Um, My root root of my addiction comes from my parents. It's just, it's sad because I yearn for their love. (laughs) Like, I, I don't know. It just makes me sad because they are, like I said, they're selfish. And they don't want what's best for me. They want what's best for them. And that's always been their goal. So, and then my, my daughter, which is their granddaughter, asks where they're at. And it's just hard for me to, my mom's currently not in the picture because I had set up those boundaries. <clears throat> it's just not healthy. I need, uh, ever, ever since I got out of jail, I have started going to AA meetings. Um, they, they, the, the AA is not bad. AA has turned my life around and it has made me a better person. I communicate with people better, I see things better. And not only that, I have made friends in AA that are truly my friends and they truly give a crap about how you're doing and it's not bull crap on the streets. I uh, the streets. I mean, I the I still I don't talk to people on the streets, but they still ask me how I'm doing and stuff. But I keep my guard up because I know what's up. I'm not on Facebook because of that. But I will check in to see how people are doing here and there. It's just... I don't know. Ever since I got sober, though, I see things differently. Um, Like, a lot of my... It's not easy getting sober. It really isn't. You got to put the work into it to get the result. You can't just expect it to, like, fall in your lap. Um, and it's been, it's been, a, it's just been, it's been hell trying to get sober. I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, it, it, it pays off and you feel so much better about yourself in the long run. Like, you're like, I can't believe I did this. Like, I did this, you know? Like, it, it it, pays off. And it's not, like I said, I keep saying this, but it's not easy. It really isn't. But, I mean, I still have my triggers and that I have to set up those boundaries with that. I have to be firm and people, like... <laughs> you you just got you just gotta be a strong individual, you know? You gotta do it. And then after afterwards I suffer from PTSD. Um I suffer from anxiety from all this. Um Robert beat the living dog shit out of me when I was with him. And he's not the type of guy to get with or be around and I don't care who hears this because it's just not a great scenario it's not good um and I have I have bipolar mania I'm a manic all the time I have anxiety like I, my anxiety is to the point where I start talking to myself in public and it's just like mumbling quietness it's just because I get so anxious like drug use has literally torn me down but I, all I can do is clean up my mess and live one day at a time and know that everything's gonna be okay I have my license now. I can drive wherever I want. I have a house. I have a man who loves me. I have my daughter. I see her. I see her on visitation still because I'm trying to work on myself. My my grandparents took her in to help me out to get sober, and that's her home. But eventually... Um, I I want her my home to be her home too, but I want to have that shared parenting with them. I want to be able to work with them and be like, hey, like if you need, if I need to go somewhere, you can take her for a few hours, and then she can stay at your house. She can stay at mine. Like that's always gonna be her home. I just want peace in my life because that's what I need. Because if I'm feeling like somebody's like upset with me or. I'm upset with them, and I get this anxious feeling, like, this gut feeling, like, that's not good. I just want to wild out and do bad shit. I do shit out of spite and out of hate, and it's not healthy. It really isn't, and I do stuff like getting in trouble just to get back at people and just to be like, hey, I'm a badass, like, you know, like, and you can't stop me, you know. It's just not healthy. But if anybody has any questions for me, I can answer questions too. Well, first
2: of all, I, I, yeah, thank you for taking us through your journey. Um, you've been through quite a bit, and I don't know you very well, but I'm proud of you for taking control over your life um, and doing the work that you need to do to be the best person that you can be every day. Mm-hmm. Your awesome, page. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really
3: appreciate you sharing all that. I mean, those are those really hard things to bring up and especially to come on and share it with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really enjoyed how you said that, you know, through your recovery and going to AA, that, you know, y- you communicate better and you see people better, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's, that's an amazing thing. And, you know, those that are still struggling, you know, now, you know, you can put that out in the world that you know you see them mm-hmm. and we see you
2: yeah I would agree with that um Stacy what you said Paige it sounds like you have this immense amount of awareness of yourself um you know your story but your story is not going to continue to control you or define who you are um and you you're doing the work I know when I met you during the human library um, i s- when i looked at you i see this like scholar this student um, at owens who is already in charge of their life you know without even knowing any of your background story so i think you you're doing you're doing the work girl
1: you just got to put in
3: that work uh-huh mm, it's, it's not hard it's not easy work but we are super glad that you're doing it
1: but see like okay i want to say something like when you do the work get sober you gotta try to enjoy it at least man like you can't just like be like oh my god i gotta do this just enjoy it it's just Mm -hmm. just try to find some kind of happiness even in little things in life you can find happiness in you know like it doesn't have to be all the big and shiny and fucking you know like grand it's just little stuff that makes me happy
2: What was your, you said you went to um, rehab? Yes. Like after you were working in Toledo? Like after that relationship from uh, physical abuse, domestic abuse, and violence? I actually,
1: I went, well, after I had left my baby dad, Uh I was using for like two years. I was injecting and i went to jail for the checks that i had cashed Mm -hmm. and um i was in jail for four months and then i went to rehab and then i left the rehab to go use okay and then i went back to jail Mm -hmm. does it make sense
2: yeah did it was there any moments when you were like in rehab Or in jail that, like, stick out to you? Was there, like, a person or something that you read that kind of, like, helped motivate you to get you where you are today? No. No?
1: I didn't want to get better in jail. I was just planning to go back on the street. Mm.
2: You talk about the AA meetings. Is there moments there that you find clarity or connection with other people with sharing stories and building community? Yes.
1: the AA, well, actually, I'm a drug addict thrown into the A. Like, I like AA as far as it's like, Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I met my, my boyfriend there. <laughs> and I've met so many people there, like, that I have so much support there. I don't need support from my parents. I don't need them. Because if they're going to be like that towards me and... Yeah, my parents just, that's just a whole nother story. My mom didn't even want to pick me up from jail. Like, and I needed help. So my grandma had picked me up and my mom took me to her house to live with her at a spike. My parents are always fighting with my grandparents and it goes way back before I was even born. They've known each other for a long time and they just hate each other. And so they put me in the middle of it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It sounds like, like a
2: lot of folks um, in the world where, you know, addiction and substance use and mental health is this biological, like factor that that is passed down from generation to generation, Um, and when we don't know that, then that could be a really dangerous thing yeah. with the substances that we get involved with or how we emotionally um, are able to be mature and understand what's happening mm-hmm. at a young age. And most of the time we kind of like miss that <laughs> miss that cue, right? Yes. If, if our parents are not being parented themselves and then it's hard for them to be a parent to us or right
1: and see like my grandparents have always been my rock for me like they've been like my foundation actually but like see my grandma they they're I'm depicting like I'm depicting what's really going on like I can decipher my emotions now and I can actually pick out what really is really going on and because like AA that's what AA has taught me like to set up boundaries with people and to know when you're being controlled and to know when you're being manipulated. Mm. And my grandma actually, like, she knows that I know, like, what's really going on, so she doesn't do that. Mm. Like, it's just mostly my mom and my father. They're, they got their own little thing going on, but my grandma knows that I'm trying to stay in my own, like, little cubicle. Like, I'm trying to, like, grow, you mm. know, as a person. And AA has actually like it's done wonders for me. And like it's not as bad as people think it is. They have to work the program. They have to like actually want it. Mm-hmm. And they can't just sit there at a AA meeting and like but you can, you can listen. You'll get a lot of information out. Like it's just there's so many different opinions and so many different personalities in that room, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've attended a couple AA meetings in my 20s. (laughs) What'd you think? Um, well, they were court ordered, right? Right. Like you have to have so many hours in and you got to get your signatures um, and stuff like that. So at the time it was more of like a formality thing for me. Um, but I look back at it now and I really appreciate those moments Mm -hmm. in the AA meetings where I was listening to people and I I was listening and I was absorbing. I just wasn't aware at the time, like how helpful that they are to me now when I look back at it, Yeah, you know? And I think the biggest thing that you're talking about um, that I hear you say is, you know, support and community Mm -hmm. outside of your family. Like you're not putting, I guess all of your eggs in one basket anymore. There's like different vessels and different cups to fill up and, different people can do that for you Mm -hmm. and one of them's yourself
1: yes (laughs) well yeah I'm I'm actually court ordered too but I am I'm graduating drug court so I don't have to use slips anymore but I still do like I still bring slips and I bring them in big baggies just for Amanda (laughs) to see just just because yeah you know does
2: that ever you know someone like myself who's in like long-term recovery and works with my own bipolar 2 disorder i know sometimes for me i think about like this is going to be a lifelong practice this is never going to go away this is something that you're always going to be working on and do you ever think about thinking yeah. about that stuff
1: yes it's all my mind all the time like, are you bipolar 1 or 2?
2: Bipolar 2. Okay. So I get like the hypomania and then it's still the depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but from my understanding is it doesn't last as long as someone who's working with bipolar disorder with the mania and the that could last for months at a time. And it's, there's slight differences, right? Or uh. not. <laughs> Oh my gosh, <laughs> my,
1: <laughs> uh, the mania. I know what you're saying with bipolar too. I don't ever get that depression. Mm-hmm. I don't. And you know what? Like before I started using and when I was using, I'd always get that hyper mania where I'm like, fuh, 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 fuh. like I'm constantly going and it's like, it's so straining and it takes my energy away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know what you mean but i just don't get that crash i don't i'm just constantly like go 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 in my brain mm-hmm. and it doesn't ever stop but i feel it but like i like i don't get that depression i don't mm-hmm. i just i figured that my behavior like that is just normal mm-hmm. and so like i take medications for it too
2: um what medication? What do you mind me asking? I don't Lexapro. Lexapro. Okay.
1: But I'm gonna be. I'm gonna see if he can move me up to twenty milligrams because I'm at ten and it's still go go
2: go. And the, and this medication is like something that will help regulate your mood, like mm-hmm. from fluctuating to that mania, right? Yeah. Okay. So I don't think a lot of people understand that with mental health disorders like it's not only the medication but it's the therapy it's the meetings it's getting involved in your community it's a lot of upkeep and it's just a little bit harder for all of us to exist in in the world (laughs) and do the things we want to (laughs) do I'm
3: convinced there's no such thing as normal right yeah if you know, I read something that said, you know, if you were to test the general population, there would be very, very few people that didn't have some sort of mental health condition.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, and like you said, it, it is like it's strange when you, you know, you finally get it and you think, wow, this is something I'm going to have to deal with my own, you know, my whole life. And I'm also part of the bipolar club in case anyone wondered. So don't feel alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's it. I. For me, I kind of thought it was kind of, you know, relieving, though, when I thought about, wow, you know, and I accepted this as something, you know, that I'm going to have to work on my whole life. Because then I didn't feel like I had to be looking for a finish line. Mm -hmm. You know, I just realized, like, this is me. You know, I think that's a really great thing when you just accept yourself for who you are. Yeah, that's a
2: that's a good comment, Stacey. (laughs)
1: Um, I actually like what the mania I think a lot of it has to do with the coil that's in my brain. Because Mm -hmm. if you get, like some people that have brain surgery, like my doctor said that I can kind of, I laugh uncontrollably. Like even most serious situations, I'm just like laughing because I get nervous, Mm -hmm. you know.
2: Could you, the coil in your brain, so what is that?
1: It's like, I don't know if it's titanium, but it's just like, Okay, so I have an aneurysm in my brain from the stroke I had okay. when I was 10.
2: And an aneurysm is like, what is that?
1: It's a blood clot.
2: A blood clot. Yes. Okay. All right, thank you. Yeah, you
1: got <laughs> the right idea. You're good. I'm like, and, I don't know what that is. But yeah, um, they went in through my leg, up into my stomach, up into my brain. So that way they didn't have to shave. It was a new practice. Like my doctor who did it at the time has actually passed away now um it was a new surgery they had like I don't they didn't discover it but it's like something new I was the second person in the whole United States to have it done wow. it was pretty new at the time it was back in 2006, 2006. So. but that was before my drug use even started like I'm 10 years old at that time you know yeah. what I mean
3: You know, interesting question, but I just, I'm curious, do you think if that wouldn't have happened, would things have been different? I always think back at my past and I'm like, you know, if X, Y, and Z wouldn't have happened, you know, Mm. do you think that, you know, things would have been any different or? Yes, I I do. I Just out of curiosity, I mean, I'm a firm believer and, you know, I think that, you know, you had mentioned your parents and I think that, you know, A lot of things with substance abuse and mental health issues are hereditary. Yeah. I was just curious how you felt about that.
1: It it does. Alcoholism and drug use does run in my family very hard. Like, it's, like, genetic all over the place. But um, I had the stroke, so I wasn't really, like, I was in sports. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't good at sports because, of course, I got a paralyzed left hand, you know, So, like, I was never really, like, favored in the family. My brothers were the two favorites because they were good at everything, and I wasn't, and I busted my ass in high school just to graduate, you know? You
2: had to work extra hard.
1: Yes. I was in an IEP class, too. Okay. Okay. Like a special ed, like where you get extra time on your test. But, of course, I'm on Adderall, too, and it's got methamphetamine in it. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. Just I'm passing. You so know? you
2: you talked a, a little bit about that with the ADHD and the Adderall. So you said that you were just like popping them all the time. Yeah. So you were prescribed the Adderall, but also you had the accessibility to get that prescription refilled and there was kind of like no limit mm. to how much you could take Yeah, at that time as like a, as a young individual in high school. Yeah,
1: I was just eating them like candy pretty much. Yeah.
2: So that that sounds like that didn't really help with, no, right. with like the, <laughs> how you were coping with these big – um, life transitions or transformations. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like it was kind of like exasperating (laughs) your resources already. And I'm not laughing at that, but it just is something that you commonly hear with, with younger folks where we get prescribed, you know, Adderall. And then we have this like streamline of accessibility to this, um, synthetic drug and, yeah. Then we wonder why, in a couple years, where we're at, why we're at where we're at at that moment. Right. <laughs> I think it's That's a why
3: cycle that happens all too frequently. Yeah, right.
1: I agree with that.
2: Um. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Living with PTSD, anxiety, bipolar. You're in long term recovery. Yes. And you're a certified badass. Mm. <laughs> you did finally get that
3: certification. So <laughs> Hell that's yeah. what you were looking for. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah.
1: I enjoyed my time with you guys and it was it was definitely a roller coaster.
2: Yeah. Your your story, you know, hopefully will reach so many people in our community and other communities to give hope. You know, do you wanna do you wanna pull? One of the mindfulness cards? Of course I did. <laughs> You've been waiting <laughs> this whole time for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: I even <laughs> put my little crystals on top uh, of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Here, let me pick one. So we're,
2: we're pulling a mindfulness card at the end of this podcast. Uh, if anybody knows me, I think this is something I like to do <laughs> every now and then. Um, well, what'd you
1: get? What'd you get? I agree with her, you know, that these things are awesome. It says, meet the difficult. And it is yellow and orange. It caught my eye. Hold on, let me read it. <laughs> it may seem counterintuitive to pay attention to uncomfortable sensations, but doing so we can be liberating. Our natural first reaction when we feel something uncomfortable like muscle tension or a slight headache or a different emotion is to get rid of it immediately, either by moving our attention somewhere else or by, by trying to fix the problem. But when we decide to meet the uncomfortable area in the open, relaxed way, we can build our composure and even find what we thought was uncomfortable because becomes totally tolerable. Next time a twinge of discomfort arises, try giving it two minutes of your non-judgmental awareness. Just sit with it, noticing the sensation and breathing through it. Please do... Please only do this when it feels safe and never intentionally create difficult sensations for this exercise. Dang,
2: like how did we pull, (laughs) how did you pull that card for today? I mean, they like hit on everything we were just talking about. Yes,
1: and I'm just sitting here like uncomfortable. I got to be comfortable. (laughs) It's got to be just your own vibe. (laughs)
2: I like that. I like that. I think that is like a sentiment for us to just, you know, take a step back before we react. Yes. And, um, really kind of assess the situation or whatever's going on, assess how we feel in our hearts, how we feel in our head, um, before we say something or do something that That, could hurt yourself or others.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I thought about that one. Like, just sitting there and taking deep breaths before you speak, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Kudos to that card.
3: So, Paige, we are so grateful that you came on here and shared with us today. Um, before we close up, is there anything else that you would like the audience to know or hear from you or just a message you would like to put out into the world?
1: Um I just want everybody to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you can do it. You just got to have faith in yourself and you just got to keep pushing and no matter how hard it gets, you just got to get through it because you got to get through it. I mean, like, it's not instant gratification. Something will happen and it takes, it might even take a day or a month or whatever, but it's life and you just got to do what you got to do to get back on track because I know that all addicts are just human beings hurting, you know, they're hurting and they're, they can get better. And I do have sympathy and compassion and empathy, whatever you want to call it. It's just, it's there, and if you need help, there's people there. You just got to be open-minded to it, and you have have to have an open heart in that, I pass. Thank you so
3: much, Paige. I think that was a great final note. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Ams? No, I'm just lucky that I got to meet you, Paige. Me too. And I'm super grateful, Paige, um, being able to know you in the past and see you grow and then show up here and not know that you (laughs) were on the (laughs) podcast. It was a gift for me, too. So thank you very much.
0: You have been listening to the I Am Somebody podcast. If you are in a mental health crisis, call the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988. You can also connect with a crisis counselor by texting HOME, H-O-M-E, to seven four one seven four one. In Hancock County, Ohio, you can call the crisis line at 888 936 for Hancock County, Ohio residents, you can contact Focus Recovery and Wellness Community at 419-423-5071. Nami Hancock County can be reached at 567-525-3435. LGBTQ plus support can be found at LGBTQ plus Spectrum of Findlay by emailing contact at Spectrum of Finley lgbt.org. Outside of Hancock County, use the internet to find local recovery community organizations or your local NAMI chapter. LGBTQ youth can call the Trevor Hotline for support at 866-488-7386. If you are a victim of domestic violence, call 800-799-7233 or the Open Arms Hotline at 419-422-4766. If you are the victim of sexual assault, please call 800-656-4673. Marketing support was provided by Amber Kier of the Hysteria Company. I am your compere, Brooke Nissen. The song used is a Walk in the Light by Zach Fletcher and is used under permission of the copyright holder. This podcast was made possible by the support of Associated Charities, the Finley Hancock Community Foundation, the Hancock County Board of Alcohol, Drug Addiction, and Mental Health Services, and donors like you. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit our website at IAMSombodyPodcast.org. Thank you for listening. I am somebody.